Well, there are times in life when you might ask, why wasn't I included? Times when it seems like everyone else was invited except you. Perhaps it's a party in high school or or a ski trip with university friends. Maybe it's the second round of interviews for a job you've been applying for. Or maybe a a work meeting for an area that you really thought you were a, a valued part of. Why wasn't I included in that? Why was I left out? In situations where some people are in and some people are out, it can be quite crushing to be out, especially when it's something you would eagerly be included in. So how good is it when someone who is on the outs is brought in, when someone who is on the outs is invited in? Well, last week in Romans 9, we heard about God in his sovereign mercy choosing to save some. No one is deserving of his mercy. Mercy by nature is undeserved. But without God's gracious intervention, we would all be out. God mercifully chooses to save some. Some people are brought in, but as we'll see today, sadly, some people remain out. You might think of loved ones who are not yet in Christ but you deeply long for them to be saved. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, close friends, uncles, aunts, grandparents. The list can go on and on. Will God save them? And God, by his grace, chooses to save some. But we might wonder who. More important than who will be at the party, who will be on the ski trip, who will get the new job, Our question today is one for eternity. Who will be saved? Well, on the one hand, God decides who will be saved. This is what we heard last week. But today in chapter 10, we're given another answer, another angle on this question, like the flip side of the same coin. We see that while God is sovereign over who is saved, there is genuine human agency and responsibility in our response to God's offer. We'll work through this in today's passage using those three points you might find on your outline. Who will be saved? Firstly, none who refuse. Secondly, all who call. And thirdly, some who hear. Well, come with me to verse, well, chapter 9, verse 30. Chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal. We've seen these things in Romans before. On one hand, the Gentiles can now be right with God by faith. But on the other hand, Israel, the Jews, they were the people of God and worked hard to be right with God, but, but on, their own, on their own merit. So they have not attained their goal. They aren't right with God. Why not, we may ask? Well, Paul anticipates this question in in verse 32. Let's read on. Why not? Because they pursued it, not by faith, but as as if it were by works. Instead of coming empty-handed, ready to receive a gift from God, they come with a, a CV, 
of good works, hoping that their own righteousness, their own right deeds will make them worthy of God's favor. Verse 32 goes on to say they stumbled over the stumbling stone. This is a picture Paul uses in the book, from the book of Isaiah. Stumbling stone. To those who don't believe, like many of the Jews, Jesus is like a stone that causes people to stumble and fall over. Well, what, what does this mean? How, how is Jesus like a stumbling stone? A few weeks ago here on, on these streets, it was council cleanup. And council cleanup is a time where you see that one man's trash is another man's treasure. You always see on the weekend before people hunting around, looking, I'm one of those people, uh, looking for something to snaffle up. One man's trash is another man's treasure. That Someone will take something home and be delighted to find something amongst the piles of things. And in Bible times, a builder looking for stones to build from might, might find one that's different to all the others. He might treasure it and use it as a key part of his building or might cast it aside where it becomes a trip hazard. This is a bit like what happened to Israel. Even though Jesus is the king they were waiting for, they rejected him and he becomes a stumbling stone to them. And now Paul, he feels this tragedy for his countrymen. Have a look at chapter 10, verse 1. We see that Paul is not cold-hearted and callous about them falling. Have a look. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. There's this earnest affection in Paul's language. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire. Just like back at the start of chapter 9, if you remember from last week, where he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart for his people, his own race. They were God's chosen people. They had the promises. They had the scriptures. But it all went wrong, and Paul is devastated. Continuing in verse 2, we we see more of what went wrong for the Jews. Verse 2, they are zealous for God but their zeal is not based on knowledge. It's not that they've taken God too lightly. They have zeal. They have zeal and good intentions, but sadly it's misdirected. They try to go north but end up going south. We might think of the Pharisees who love sitting in the front row of church and everyone looking at them, who, who tithe and give, give to God out of their spice rack. But... They neglect justice and and the love of God. But what exactly is the knowledge that they lack? Have a look at verse 3. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They don't know that God's righteousness, it comes as a gift, a free gift, and instead they seek to be right with God in their own way and reject the gift. They would rather a, a DIY, do-it-yourself sort of righteousness because they don't, they don't want to be a charity case. They don't want to receive anything for free. But DIY righteousness is no righteousness at all. True righteousness can only come from God. 
Just like a DIY job is almost never as good as getting a professional, DIY righteousness doesn't cut it. Christ is the only professional when it comes to being right with God. Have a look in verse 4. This is what we see. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So to receive God's righteousness, we need to submit to what God has already accomplished in Christ. We need to believe in him, not in ourselves. There's a warning here, especially for many people like us who've heard the message again and again. Don't make the same mistake as Israel. Hearing about God's gift and again and again, then trying to be right with God on our own merit. The end of chapter 10, which we didn't read, it shows how Israel had every chance to hear and hear and hear and believe, but they didn't. Paul uses quotes from Psalms, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, to show that all parts of the Old Testament, they all testify to this message that Israel heard again and again, but sadly rejected. Have a look at the very last verse of chapter 10, verse 21. God says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Israel's example shows that we all have this opportunity to submit to what God has already done for us in Christ. Or we can foolishly seek to be right with God in our own way. So firstly, who will be saved? None who refuse his offer. None who refuse God's gift of righteousness. That's our first point. And our next one is that all who call will be saved. All who call will be saved. Have a look at verse 6. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. This is a quotation from Deuteronomy 30, which we read, where Israel are right on the edge of the promised land. Just imagine them. They're looking across the river Jordan at this land that God has promised them. They're almost there. And Moses is giving an exhortation, which which I'll paraphrase for us again. What I command to you is not too difficult. It's not out of your reach. It's in your mouth and in your heart that you may obey it. I set before you life and prosperity, death and destruction. If you love and obey the Lord, you will live and increase. But if you turn away and do not obey, you will be destroyed. So choose life that you and your children may live. So despite this strong and convincing call to choose life, you might know the story that Israel soon turned away. Moses even predicted that it would happen. Now here now in Romans, Paul gives a similar exhortation, an offer of life, an invitation that is near us, one that's not too difficult to access. To choose life with God is a simple thing. But here in Romans, it's even bigger and better than it was for the Israelites. It's an offer of eternal life through faith in Christ. Because Christ, it's not out of reach. 
We don't need to bring Christ down from heaven. Jesus already came down from heaven. We don't need to bring him up from the dead. He already was raised from the dead. These truths, this word, it's near us, Paul says. It's in our mouths and in our hearts. It's the message he proclaimed, the message we proclaim. What do we do with this word that Jesus has come from heaven, that he has risen from the dead? Simply declare and believe. Have a look at verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a memory verse that I was once encouraged to learn because it states so clearly what response is needed to be saved. Unlike other complicated religions that rely on certain good works, even the way the Pharisees were living, this is simple and accessible. Many times when I've driven into the city here, I've almost always taken at least one wrong turn. Even following the nav, right? Uh, I might miss an exit or take one too early. So when I want to go to the city, I would hate to drive. I'd rather take public transport. By contrast, the train, the bus or the ferry, it's so simple, so accessible. Anyone can get on. You don't need a license. You don't even know which way to turn. You simply sit there until you get to your destination. You can trust that the driver, he knows where he's going. He's going the right way. It's all in his hands. It's a bit like the new covenant in Christ, this new opportunity of life. It's simple. It's accessible. It's the easy way to God. No expertise, no no works of our hands are needed, only a declaration of our mouths and belief in our hearts. As it says in verse 10, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. The only thing that anyone needs to be saved is a hearty belief and a genuine declaration that Jesus is the risen Lord. It's simple. It's simple and and perfectly reliable. Have a look at the next verse. As Scripture says, verse, verse 11, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. You might have noticed that this verse was repeated from chapter 9, verse 33, from the longer quote. While some reject Jesus and he's like a stumbling stone to them, they see him as trash, those who treasure him, who rely on him, will never be put to shame. He's a solid and reliable foundation for our lives. Now, as I read on in the next few verses, listen out for the words like everyone, anyone, all. We just had anyone in verse 11, and earlier in verse 4 we had everyone. But there's a few more in the next couple of verses. Have a look. Verse 12. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord is Lord of all. And richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, anyone, all, all, everyone, everyone hear this. It's all the same. These are all the same word in the original. Saying that God's salvation is not limited to Israel. It's not limited to experts. 
It's not limited to the well-educated. It's not limited to those who have their lives all put together. It's open and accessible to everyone. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek, young or old, rich or poor, tigers or roosters or panthers fans. Jesus is Lord of all. All who call on him will be saved. So no one can say, I'm not religious, it's not really for me. No one can say, oh, if you knew the things I've done, you you wouldn't be saying anyone. No one can say, isn't Christianity just a Western religion? No, no, the line between God's people and the world, it's no longer Jew and Gentile between Israel and the nations. It's not between East and West in our current world. It's between those who call on the Lord Jesus and those who don't. See, Jesus has done everything needed to offer this free gift of salvation. And all we need to do is call on him. Anyone can do that. Jesus is Lord of all. All ages, all peoples, all nations, all backgrounds. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and they will never be put to shame. Who will be saved? All who call on him. But what about those who don't even know the name of Jesus? How can they call on him if they don't even know his name or know who he is? This is the the question Paul goes into next. Have a look at verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You know, today in the world, there are 8 billion people. Of these, about 3 billion would be considered unreached, meaning they they haven't heard of Jesus and they don't even have access to someone who knows about Jesus. Think about that number for a moment. 3 billion people who have never heard of Christ. You know, if you count one, two, three, one second at a time, It actually takes 32 years to count to 1 billion. Counting to 3 billion would take your whole lifetime, 90 years, to count the number of people in the world who have not heard of Christ. And there's plenty of people right here around us who might have heard of Jesus Christ but don't really know who he is. Sometimes I stand out there at the pedestrian lights waiting to cross Lions Road to go get a coffee at the cafe. And sometimes it strikes me just how many people there are here, just in this area. Dozens and dozens of cars passing by. There go 10 cars, 20, 30. And sometimes I wonder, how many of them have heard of God's offer of life? How many of them have heard of the message that is, that is near and accessible to them, the word about Christ. How can they call on Christ unless they hear of them? How can they hear of them, him? Only if someone tells them. The word must be proclaimed. For verse 17 says, faith comes from hearing from the word, about, word of Christ. There's an urgency here 
in proclaiming the word. God has chosen some who are out there. They're waiting to hear the good news. Everyone who calls, all who call will be saved. But have a look at verse 16. Not all have accepted the good news. Not all have accepted. All, 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 not all. Israel's rejection demonstrates to us that only some who hear the message will accept the good news. Some will reject it even if we proclaim it to them. Just like you might remember the parable of the sower. Different soils, but only some respond with fruitfulness and growth. We ought to expect a mixed response to the gospel, not to be disheartened by negative responses, but to have a a healthy expectation that God will soften hearts to hear the good news and to accept it. God has chosen some to respond to the message and be saved. Who will be saved? Some who hear. Now, I don't know many people who love the way their feet look. They're part of the body that can be stinky, scaly, wart-covered, infected. And in Paul's day, it would have been even worse. They just had sandals. They ran around in bare feet. But have a look at verse 15, what, what Paul says about feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The feet are described as beautiful, not because they're physically beautiful, but because they're carrying a beautiful message, the message that anyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. So are your feet beautiful feet? Do they carry the good news to people who haven't heard? If they do, then they are beautiful feet, warts and all. Consider unbelievers in your realm perhaps your boss at work the other parents at your kids school the barista you buy coffee from your colleagues customers clients patients students the the list goes on doesn't it who will bring the good news to them could it be you and your beautiful feet Could it be that God has placed you in your workplace, in your family, at the school gates for this very reason? Despite the discomfort or awkwardness we might experience and and try to avoid, bringing the word of Christ to someone is a beautiful and eternally worthwhile thing. So don't allow the negative responses to to shape our expectation of what God might do. Don't let earthly worries hinder the heavenly invitation. There are also opportunities to give time and energy towards deliberate efforts in sharing the gospel. Some of you are already involved in things like this. Some of you are already involved in Christianity Explored. Some of you are involved in scripture teaching at Dremoyne Public School. Some of you are involved in Case Central, in beach missions, in, in playgroup. There, there are lots and lots of things where this intentional effort can make a big difference. Are there more among us who could join these kingdom endeavours or, or even start new ones? Could it even be that God is calling you to a part of the world where so many people are currently unreached? 
God's elect, his chosen ones, are ready and waiting to hear the good news and respond. They're waiting for those beautiful feet to appear. So may our hearts desire and prayers be for their salvation, those people who we have the opportunity to share Jesus with. May our mouths not only confess Jesus as Lord, but proclaim him to those who haven't yet heard. On the beach mission I'm a part of, about 18 months ago, there were two teenage sisters who said they wanted to follow Jesus and and took Bibles home with them from non-Christian families. And a couple of the team, two leaders who were leading their age group, they, they prayed for them all through last year. And so we got to see them one year later, again over summer. And one sister, she was curious, and, but, but perhaps a bit frightened about spiritual things, still a li- little bit hesitant about trusting Christ. But the other, she had been hungrily reading her Bible all year despite a hostile father. And during the program, just last summer, she would often have answers to share from the Bible, you know, answers to the questions other kids had. See, knowing that our message is accessible to all and and knowing that God has chosen some to be his, we can proclaim it with great confidence that God will bring some to salvation. So who will be saved? None who refuse, all who call and some who hear.